I'm Jesse Sparks, host of the Splendid Table's sister podcast, The One Recipe, here with the holiday special from APM. Happy holidays, y'all. You know, this is my favorite time of the year. Sure, for the obvious reasons covered in every Hallmark movie, but also because they're some of the few times we all get a chance to stop, look around, and ask ourselves and each other, what would make you happy? What would bring us joy? And even better, can we just be together? You know, the last few years have been incredibly challenging, and we need to find that magic again. So, as we gather with family and friends that we may not have seen since 2019, let's double down on our commitment to make the time ahead fulfilling and just plain filling. Which brings me to the food. This hour, we have four amazing guests to help you step up your celebrations. We're talking food love languages with the New York Times food writer Eric Kim. He's the author of Korean American. Chef Tanya Holland brings us her Cali-style soul food. Her new book is California Soul. And food and culture writer and senior reporter at Eater, Bettina Makalintal, teaches us to chill and roll. Well, don't get carried away. We're talking lumpia. So let's get started with Carla Lolly Music. Carla's kind of an overachiever. <laughs> She's the co-host of the podcast Borderline Salty with her friend Rick Martinez. She hosts Carla's cooking show on YouTube and Patreon. And she's the author of two books, Where Cooking Begins and her latest, That Sounds So Good. Hey, Carla, so good to have you. It is such a pleasure to lay eyes on you. I can't stand it. I am literally, I've just been beaming the whole time. I'm so close to just reaching out, <laughs> holding your hands and just staring into your soul. I love it. <laughs> how how have you been doing? I mean, I'm good. I have a lot of transitions. I've got like kids going to college. I have kids going into seventh grade. We're about to have a teenager, you know. Oh, my God. The cats are acting up. I don't know. It's like a lot. <laughs> <laughs> the, the cats are saying, you know what? It's time for us to to, to reevaluate. Yeah. I think we're adults now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We've been talking about a dog. There's like a lot of a lot of hot and cold feet going on. Oh, and no. I'm full hot feet. I've been oh, looking yeah. at like dog pictures every day. And that it really makes you ready. Oh, oh, you need it. Yeah. The second you start looking at the dog photos, you're I already mean, done. I mean, forget gone. about it. <laughs> so, so speaking of family, yeah, I am so curious. You have perfected holidays. Aww. You've made the perfect Thanksgiving. You, you've been giving people recipes for how to just make it through the holidays yeah. even while still staying sane. Yeah. How are you planning to do the holidays with your family? Yeah. It's always kind of a push-pull, and I mean this in the nicest way, with my mom because she has always been the hostess with the mostest, and my parents' house is really like HQ. But as I got older, and especially once I was in food media, I was like, wait, can I have a turn? Because like I, you know, editorially would be writing about Thanksgiving and the holidays and New Year's and parties and all this stuff, and, and it was never at my house. So hypothetically, we have like a one-off, you know, one-on, um, but we keep losing, <laughs> we keep losing track. So I don't even know whose really turn it is, whose house we're going to be in, but it doesn't really matter because the menu stays the same. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. So what are the traditions? What are the things you have to do every year? Right. So we are Italian-American. We do Feast of Seven Fishes for Christmas Eve. And I love it. Uh, we've been doing it since I was a little 
little kid and now my kids are growing up kind of realizing like, so you drink until two in the morning, but it's like uh, religious. So you're fasting. What's happening? It's, you, you know, <laughs> at that age, they're ready to just trust you. Yeah. You know, just like. But I love the Italians are like, it's a very holy fasting day. So we will eat fish for three hours. <laughs> Listen, what else is piety? What else is love? I know. We're holding back. It's only fish, but there's seven courses. So do you do all of the seven? We do. I think it's seven. We can count them off, but it's the same menu. Right. So if anyone ever tries, and and this is not a religious holiday for us at all. It is the eating is the, we're celebrating the eating <laughs> and the being together. Yes. And Christmas Eve has also always been special because it's the friends holiday. It's like the one where, you know, all of the outsiders get to come. <laughs> yeah. um, and if anyone tries to change the menu there will be, like, d- a deep revolt. My mom and I are open. We're like, we will, we'll, like, let's mix it up. There's a couple of things you can't change. But my mm-hmm. sister and my dad are just like, what? They're like, do you need professional to seek professional <laughs> help? Like, why would you mess around? So there's seafood salad that has multiple fishes in it. So okay. there's shrimp and and calamari and scallops in the seafood salad. Delicious. Celery, olive oil, lemon juice, some parsley, really, really good. Then we have linguine with clams, which we have a lot throughout the year. That's sort of our like um, favorite Friday night meal. Oh, yeah. If I'm with my if I'm with my parents, we it's linguine with clams. Are you using canned clams for those, or are you fresh splurging? clams? We go, oh. yeah, we go little necks all the way. Daddy and... Warbucks over here. <laughs> just... Clams are not. <laughs> I hey. just have to gas you up a little bit. Just a l- little bit of grief. Clams aren't truffles, you know, but um, but my mom has actually diff- does it differently when it's – there could be 16 people at the table. Easy. So early in the day, she'll steam them open with, like, the garlic, the olive oil. I always put a little white wine, but I feel like I have to w- wait until everybody's backs are turned because that's not typically what we do. And then after they're steamed open, it's my dad's job to take – each clam out, put it back in the clam liquor. And then that just makes it easier. Like when it's go time, we boil the pasta and then toss it with the sauce. Oh, that's so smart. But it's hard. Like 16 people, you're doing three or four pounds of pasta. And we always make, if there's ever a newcomer who hasn't been at this meal before, your instinct is going to be to take seconds on linguine with clams. And the one thing you do not want to do <laughs> is have seconds on like as tempting yeah. as it is. Oh, yeah. Like whenever someone is like, well, I'll have a little more. Like my sister and I are like, you're going to be sorry. But we, <laughs> Just we're like, oh, tone. yeah, no, so go for it. And it's like they have no idea. Um, then we have the bacala course, which is the salt cod. So oh. it's like, you know, the we went before refrigeration, we salted the cod, we hung it, and then dried it and the thing. And then you have to rehydrate. It takes like three days. You're changing the water. You're pouring it on, pouring it off. Um, and we do it three ways. So there's like a mantecato, which is um, like a ma- kind of like brandade, mm-hmm. but it's mashed with olive oil and um, some garlic, salt and pepper. And it's kind of like a – it's like a like a salty cod puree or pate. I yeah, love it. It's perfect. And then we have fried bacala, which is in this egg white batter that my mom has been making from the same book forever. Um, we have to get out all the cast iron skillets. It's me, my mom, and my sister. I have to get into the kitchen at the same time. We're frying, we're turning, we're passing. Like yep. 
The, the whole dinner is like, you, I'm never sitting down, basically. No. <laughs> it's just for, for 48 hours. No one is sitting. <laughs> and, like, people are sitting and eating, except for the people who are hosts. We're like, oh, yeah. we got to go. We'll be back at, with your next course, you know. And one of the things I love about the way that you've kind of already established this whole feast is that yeah. everyone has a job. Yes. Everyone has a place. Yes. And even if it's just sitting and eating and doing your best not to take seconds. That's right. It still just kind of takes the pressure off of y'all a little bit because you get to know, okay, I'm only responsible for this. Yes. So so where do you go from there? There's a third cod in the cod course, and that's the salad, which has um, green olives and cherry tomatoes and more parsley and olive oil. And it's, like, so juicy and fresh and, like, oh, I love that one a lot. Oh and God. then we have a baked fish, usually salmon with tiny tiny, very thinly shaved artichokes that my dad has to prep three days in advance, and then they get par-cooked, and then they get stuffed inside the salmon, which is slow-roasted so that they... It's so good. It's ridiculous. But then there's people who you get to the end, and they're like, oh, my God, there's not another course. And it's like, you did you not know what you were signing up for? We don't want to hear it. It's in the name. It's <laughs> exactly. It's not like we were just like, ah, yes, my favorite lucky number seven. That feels religious enough. It's just like, no, there's a reason. There's literally seven. seven lucky courses. seven, baby. We're talking to Carla Lolly Music, author of her new book, That Sounds So Good. We'll be back with more from her in a minute. And then we're checking in with the New York Times food writer, Eric Kim. I'm Jesse Sparks. And this is the One Recipe Holiday Special from APM. I'm Jesse Sparks, and this is the One Recipe Holiday Special from APM. Today, we're talking all things family and holiday cooking and eating. So, who would be better to talk to than Carla Lolly Music? You may know Carla for her viral recipes and sassy, no-nonsense cooking style, or from her cookbooks, where cooking begins, and her latest, That Sounds So Good. We just heard her general approach to the holidays, but we've still got one question to ask her. Let's get back to the conversation. Okay, so you, you've taken me through the courses. Yes. You've taken me through the meal and some of the yeah. traditions. But I gotta know, what is your one? The one, even though it's the one that we have the most, the linguine with clams, because it is so core as a family tradition, and most of the courses that we have at the feast, we only have that one night of the year. So they're special and they're rare, but the linguine with clams is like the, it's like the, our family dish. And of all the Fridays we've spent together, we've had that dish that recipe Mm -hmm. a thousand times and we never it's never exactly the same like sometimes we'll add pancetta and swiss chard to it sometimes it has cherry tomatoes if it's the summer Mm -hmm. sometimes it's just garlic and olive oil sometimes once in a blue moon we might make it with mussels but like that is what friday night means and it's very anchoring and it's one of these I don't know. For me, the whole thing about the food is because you eat the food with the people. Yeah. <laughs> so it's the special food that we have together and how many ridiculous Friday nights we've had together. Um, there have been boring ones. There have been ones where maybe we got into arguments. There have been ones during like really difficult times when we all live together during the during the lockdown. And then the summer nights when we're just like having a great time. Um, 
and even it's like so core to us that Cosmo, my younger son, actually wrote an essay about Clam Night oh my <laughs> in my book. That sounds so good. And the title of it, he did such a great job. And the title is just Clams. It was really crazy because the first draft he wrote, this was like such a mom fail. He wrote it in pencil and paper. And it was genius. And he gave it to me and I was going to scan it because I thought we might even just run like a scan of the actual handwritten one. Yeah. And then I legit lost it. We all make mistakes. Not ideal, but like, listen, it happens. We're human, you know? And I was like, you did an amazing job. This is brilliant. I love it. And then I was like, have you seen it? (laughs) Because mom can't like find it. And so he had to write it a second time, which he didn't want to hear it, but it was a good lesson about like first draft and second draft <laughs> See, and that just goes to show you carla lolly music mother of the year just turning any negative into a positive and a learning opportunity it's all how you spin it getting it right no matter how many i was like in my it's... day that a hard drive would crash <laughs> <laughs> and I, you could lose your whole final paper <laughs> but one of the things that i i just have always loved and admired about the way that you kind of approach these traditions and these kind of holidays with your family is that you honor the habit, mm-hmm. you honor the the routine mm-hmm. and the tradition of it, mm-hmm. but you also give yourself the freedom and the flexibility to say, we're going to mix it up. Right. You know, we're going to bring friends who may not have been here before. Right. You know, we're going to sneak in some pancetta. We're going <laughs> to like spike the clams with a little bit of wine. That's right. But like just giving yourself the flexibility to say it doesn't have to be the exact same every single year for it yep. to be, yep. for it to be perfect. Yep, and it's always different, but it's always good. Like yeah. that's another kind of cooking without a recipe. You realize, like, I'm not making it exactly the same way, but it's still the same dish, and it's still really, really good. So we've talked so much about just all that you're doing for everyone else, and to make sure that everyone else feels like they're a part of the feast and has their roles. But what do you really do for you? Great question. I have gotten really, really good now that I work from home and have created, like, my own schedule. Um, I have gotten so good at sleeping in. It's, like, truly my superpower. And as my sleeping in has reverted to, like, teenage levels, my um, spouse is waking up earlier and earlier. So we've just gone complete. It's, like, complete opposites. But I can sleep till like 10, 30, 11, 11, 30, and I love it. I love sleeping. And I think having office jobs for 20 years or however long, you know, working in restaurants and then working in media and going to an office building every single day, like I got up at 7.15 like every day forever. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You you were always one of the first people in – I used to do drop-off and, like, just go, you know, do school drop-off and then come straight to the office. And that's just now that, you know, everybody's schedule just completely got changed up. That's one thing I'm really, like, I really leaned into. And all of those mornings that you woke up and were like, I really wish I didn't have to go to work today or it's snowing or it's raining. And I just wish that I feel like I got them all back just in consecutive days. What is it like (laughs) to be God's favorite? Just... Again, Carlo Lolly music, my life inspiration. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the show. Oh Thank my you so gosh, much for coming it's my on. pleasure. It, I love seeing you. It's so great. Happy holidays, Carla. Thank you. Happy New Year to everybody. Mm-hmm. 
Queen of the Sea, Carla Lolly Music is the author of That Sounds So Good. And Where Cooking Begins. You can find her one, her recipe for linguine with clams, at theonerecipe.org. So 2022 has been an excellent year for food writer Eric Kim. He's exploded on the scene with his work for the New York Times. His social media covers everything from his love of Timothy Chalamet and Mangchi to behind-the-scenes looks at his chill but imaginative cooking. And on top of it all, Eric has managed to write his first cookbook, Korean American, Food That Tastes Like Home. Eric, thank you so much for coming on the show. Happy holidays. Thanks for having me. It's, it's, good, to, it's good to be back. It's so good to have you back. Can you yeah. tell me a little bit of where you're spending the holidays? Yeah, I, I'm now still, I'm, I'm a very last minute person. My mom's always nagging me like, are you renting a car yet? Do you know what you're doing? Like, and then it, you know, the trip is impending and won't happen for a few days. And to me, that's enough time to get a rental and, and drive down to Georgia. So yeah, I, I usually do drive down because I have a dog. And mm-hmm. so Maybe twice a year I do that, and I really look forward to it. I, I love the the drive from New York to Atlanta. It's really relaxing to me. And uh, so I, I think I plan to spend most of my holiday in Georgia. That's where my partner's family lives as well. Um, but I also think I might be going to L.A. for a wedding. <laughs> oh, amazing. So you were, yeah. again, <laughs> really world random. tour right here. <laughs> um, so with all of that going on, what are some of, like, the holiday traditions that you kind of maintain in addition to the drive? Oh, there's one that is very steadfast, and it's been like this for so many years. My drive to Atlanta is very, like, sparse, and it's like the—it feels like, you know, like a little bit like prodigal son coming home kind of thing, and I'm, like, starving by the time I walk in the door and, like, I hadn't eaten in in my mom usually has like a nice spread, but it's really the um, the Argentine empanadas that my mom makes, and mm. she sort of packs them for me for my drive back up to New York. So that, you know, a little pocket of savory beef and cheese, there's, um, there's like frozen mixed vegetables usually, and it's all like kind of enveloped in a tomato sauce, so it's more like tomato-y than other empanadas. And in the Argentinian style, there's um, a hard-boiled egg and an olive. And I love eating this pocket because it's kind of like a grown-up hot pocket. You Well, not that (laughs) hot pockets aren't for grown-ups either. I I eat them sometimes (laughs) as an adult. No hot pockets, Slander, okay? (laughs) Wait, what's your favorite flavor of hot pockets? Ooh, okay. See, I am a purist. I got to do the pepperoni, like... That has gotten me through so many. It's also a crowd pleaser. Like anytime, you know, a friend may have had a little (laughs) too many celebratory drinks. It's just nice to toss it in the oven real quick. Yeah. (laughs) What about you? What about you? Oh yeah, you know, nothing but the best. (laughs) I'm just joking. (laughs) My go to -to growing up was like broccoli cheese, but I like that you said pepperoni because that one does have the flavor of the Argentina empanada that my mom makes. It's it's the tomato that is kind of unassumingly just perfect and it has pizza vibes but i think of like a bolognese kind of and um but it's really like when you when you get to the end of the empanada and if you're lucky um you won't get the olive until the last bite 
And that's how my mom does it. She tucks it into the end. And lately, she's actually been tucking it into both ends so that, you know, you win in the beginning and at the end. But, um, you know, what happens is after eating this amazing uh, empanada, you you kind of finish off with the olive and it sort of feels like a martini, you know, and it, it really reminds me of martinis. Actually, we'd like to have these with martinis sometimes. Okay, yeah. <laughs> you and your mom, my kind of party, this is <laughs> yeah. a dream, like, holiday <laughs> kind but, of hangout situation um, after a long drive. And it's also just great because those pockets really keep well, you know, like, mm-hmm. I'm, I might stop in the middle of my 13-hour drive, but sometimes I keep going, and it's just really surprising how these don't need to be in the fridge for, like, 24 or 48 hours, so... Um, I'm, it's like kind of the perfect road food. And it's also just really satisfying. There's so much going on that you never, it, it's, it's sort of like a complete meal. And so it feels very substantial when I'm on the road and I always finish all of them. My mom usually packs like seven to 10 and that's like enough to get me through the drive. <laughs> oh my gosh. I do yeah. want to know a little bit more about what the holidays look like at the Kim household. You know, these days we've been having these big dinners and it's not something we, did all the time. But I think the reason we did it is because as the kids got older, we would come home for like Thanksgiving less often. Mm -hmm. And especially since working in food, Thanksgiving is kind of, you know, the biggest time in in a season for, for a cook or anyone who writes about food. So Christmas was always the time for us to do the big dinner. And a lot of Thanksgiving foods actually show up there. And um, not like the empanadas aren't at that dinner. That They're more of like little treats that you have throughout the holidays season, mm-hmm. you know, throughout the month of de- December, basically. But um, at, at that holiday dinner, there's always a big glazed ham. And it's because my parents really, really love ham and really look forward to it. And so last year I, I made them a ham and... They loved it, but it was really, I remember including kind of new items that I thought would be nice on the table. And those included like just a really simple scalloped potato. My, like Nigella Lawson does one where she, you boil the potatoes in the milk first. Yep. And it's a great recipe because, you know, there's no finesse. There's no like layering of, of those slices. Um, and a lot of nutmeg. And I just love that flavor of like cream, nutmeg and potato and cheese. And uh, everyone really loved that. So that that's something I think that we'll keep making every year. I think that's why I like the holidays, because every year there's maybe like a new dish that gets folded in. And and I think about the empanadas, for instance, that's something that was folded in a long time ago. Um, but still every year we make it because that's like a special time. They sort of take a little effort. You have to fold them the right way and um, like any kind of like dumpling. but um. Yeah, it's sort of, it's sort of a, a, it's, there's a lot of food, a lot of cream, a lot of butter. <laughs> oh my gosh. So it sounds like those empanadas are really the front runner for your one recipe. Is that true? Yeah, I would say so, at least for the holidays. So then you're also pulling a lot of different cultural influences. You have like these Argentinian empanadas, you have Nigella's scalloped potatoes, you have the beautiful glistening ham. Um, What other kind of dishes and inspirations are y'all pulling from for your table? Yeah, it's a good point. It's funny how we talk this long about the empanadas and I never told you why they are in my family. (laughs) (laughs) I was just like, how do I coax this out? Let me me secretly get all of Eric's (laughs) secrets out into the open. It's sort of like you don't want to ask because then it's like um, it seems like you're like profiling or something. But it's like, yeah, yeah, my family's Korean. Um, there's no reason for those empanadas to be in our our table, except for the fact that 
in the 80s, there was a big wave of immigration um, to the United States, but equally to South America. And so mm-hmm. we had a family friend growing up. Um, I mean, she's still a family friend. Her name is Judy. And she learned these empanadas in Argentina where she grew up. And she brought them to Atlanta. And my, my parents met a long time ago. And so these empanadas would kind of show up at um, Christmas you know, here now, now and then, and then eventually my mom learned how to make it. And now they're a part of our table. And um, I really think that's kind of special. It's sort of, I think people would look at this empanada, the recipe is in, in my cookbook, Korean American. I think people would look at it and be like, why is this here? This is not Korean. And I, I like this recipe for that reason, because it, it sort of tells the story of what happens when you are um, commingling with other immigrants and it's, it tells the story of the diaspora, and I really do think my mom's empanadas, she, she does a little bit of, like, sugar in the tomato sauce. I know that's, like, pretty common, but that comforting flavor profile that she has made out of these ingredients, uh, it does feel very Korean to me, and she's sort of made it her own. And so I, I like the way uh, food does that, and um, that's something that is definitely, like, on our table. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about this persimmon cake I keep kind of playing with. I'm sort of trying to make it a part of our family because one thing that happens during Christmas, uh, during like the holidays in December, um, a lot of persimmons just kind of show up. Um, Of course, my mom goes out and buys them. It's like persimmon season and stuff like that. But they're not just magically appearing in the fridge. (laughs) No, no, no. Can you tell us a little bit about what the persimmons are tasting like and and how they like feel texturally? Yeah, persimmons are a wonderful orange fruit that tastes almost like honeyed. There's like a sugary quality that feels very comforting. And I think it pairs well with cinnamon. So there's something about those flavors that work really well together. It reminds me of pumpkin almost, um, but it's it's a little bit um, closer, maybe in texture when it's ripe to like, a tomato. That sounds really weird, and I think a lot of people. It's like creamier than a tomato, but it's when it's like when a persimmon is really, really ripe. It should be. It's like so um, soft and like dripping. And my mom, like I remember growing up, she would eat it over a bowl because it was so like juicy. Yeah. Um, but you know, when persimmons are less ripe, they're also good. We we would chop them up and and have them um, after dinner, and they can have like a harder, like uh, um, crunchier kind of peach quality, you know, mm-hmm. like an underripe peach. Um, so I think those are all the things that it kind of reminds me of. So I think um, leaning into like the sugary honeyed syrup of the persimmon is what um, I- I'm trying to do with this cake. And I'm, I'm still figuring it out. It'll probably never debut ever, but um, it's it's like a nice goal to have you know, every, every, every year to try to like make this a little better. But it's, um, I don't know, it's really, it's really special to I've been trying to figure out how to Marion Burroughs tort that, you know, but oh, yeah, yeah. persimmons aren't always like ripe. So you, you kind of have to cook the harder ones. And anyway, um, you know, th- those kinds of influences are there. And because of Nigella, my Christmas table certainly has a lot of um, British foods. And <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's yeah. a pe- period where I was doing Yorkshire pudding a lot for, you know, to go with the ham and stuff. 
I feel like the holidays are always one of the highest stakes situations to either soft launch a partner or soft launch, like, you know, uh, (laughs) like some life developments. But I feel like the really big thing that is beautiful and so exciting about this is that you're essentially just soft launching these persimmons. How do you kind of describe the persimmon cake? Oh, yeah, the persimmon cake. Um, I think my family is always intrigued when I take sort of like what they consider to be a crane ingredient and turn it into something else, especially a dessert. Um, mm-hmm. Like, for instance, I, I make this Korean pear galette that is flavored like sujangwa, which is a Korean like cinnamon tea. So there's like cinnamon and fresh ginger and stuff. But, um, you know, the persimmon cake is an example of one of these desserts where they take a bite of it and they're like, wow, I've, I've been eating this fruit my whole life, but I, I never had it in a cake like this. And that's always special, you know? I, mm-hmm. I, like, I like feeding my family on the holiday because, you know, it's a chance for me to give them something that they haven't had all year or something maybe a little more special than what they're having normally. And they, they're always kind of excited about the dinners and that feels really good. It's sort of like yeah. my only, my like one gift that I can give to my family. I'm not really good at gifts. I'm really bad at buying things and wrapping them. And last Christmas, all my gifts were still in their like shopping bags. And, uh, <laughs> hey, I, listen, I mean, you, you yeah, got gifts. Hard. You, Listen, got you got gifts, gifts you got yeah. persimmon cake. That is the yeah, gift yeah. that keeps on giving. <laughs> and at the end of the day, yeah. you're still leaving with these empanadas. I think you I won the That's holiday. Really I the think goal. you've done it. I think you're right. There is a bit of an exchange of it's like a bartering system. It's like in order for me to get those empanadas, I have to like do a lot of work during the holidays. Absolutely. Just kidding. It's it's a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> and and just Overall, one of the things I've loved about everything that you've said about your family and the time that you spend together is that you find ways to take things that other people might consider mundane or part of, you know, not the holiday season and just really make it special. So thank you for sharing that with us. Thank you for, you know, giving us a little peek, not only into your one, but also into all of the other dishes I need to steal off your family's (laughs) holiday table. Oh, thanks so much. And Jesse, it's so good to talk to you. Your voice is so like distinct. We're not even looking at each other right now, but I can feel every like smile and I appreciate that. The feeling is so mutual. You are you are the best. Um and I <laughs> it's been so great to talk with you. Happy holidays, Eric. Happy holidays. Thank you. Eric Kim is the author of Korean American, Food That Tastes Like Home. You can find Eric's recipe for his family's empanadas at theonerecipe.org. Oh, and uh, by the way, be sure to check out our One Recipe podcast episode on his roasted chicken with fish sauce butter. It's delightful. I'm Jesse Sparks, and this is the One Recipe holiday special from APM. We're celebrating family, food, and tradition today. And next up, we're talking with Tanya Holland. She's an award-winning chef, author, and restaurateur. She's also just one of the lightest and brightest people in the food world. Tanya specializes in all matters of soul food, from the diehard traditionalist recipes to the modern California-inspired takes at the heart of her new cookbook, Tanya Holland's California Soul. She has some good ideas to introduce a little luxury into our holiday day-to-days. So kick back and have a listen. Hello, Tanya. Hi, Jesse. How are you? 
<laughs> I'm doing well. How are you doing? Good, thank you. Ah,、uh, it's so great to have you. I I gotta know though. Are you a holiday traditionalist, or do you need a little bit more space to kind of mix things up? I'm definitely the latter. I need to mix things up. You know, I grew up in a pretty traditional home, but then once I started, you know, working professionally. And moving around and traveling, I just kind of had to, you know, have friends giving and,、uh, you know, some Christmas, some holidays. I would not get off, so I've just kind of made do. I feel like so many people forget that there are so many cooks, chefs working through the holidays. If anything, yes, for a lot of people in the food world, the holidays are our Super Bowl. There are, you know, <laughs> kind of time to go overdrive. How do you make the holidays feel like they're truly yours? Like you fully have time to be. Fully out of work mode and just cooking for you. Yeah, that's funny because、um, a lot of times people will ask me what I'm doing for Thanksgiving, and I say sleeping, because <laughs> 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 it's one of the few days that we would have actually closed the restaurant. But I just always make sure that I have my comfort foods around. You know,、um, always inspired by the farmers market and going and make sure I have a variety of sweet potatoes. I mean, those are like essential to me for. This time of year, and、um, think of some, you know, my the favorites that my mom used to cook:、uh, greens, usually a pot of beans. Just cook them really slow, so I'm not, you know, tethered to the stove during the day. <laughs> so, how are you kind of relating to these recipes now that they're, you know, more yours than they are your mom's? Do you do any twists to them, or are you still going straight by the book exactly as your mom passed down to you? No, I definitely add twists. I mean, primarily because you know my mom when I was growing up, we were, she was cooking in Rochester, New York, and so you know with it being so cold there so often,、um, and just the way you know the world was then, we weren't eating a lot of fresh produce. Like that just wasn't prioritized. It was frozen, sometimes canned. So I'm definitely inspired by living here in California and getting to farmers markets. I definitely have a bigger repertoire of spices. You know, I don't just use cayenne pepper. I use chipotle. I might use, you know, tagarashi. I use so many different things. Again, depending on what's in my pantry, I'm always trying things. Someone just gave me some wasabi salt that I've been putting on almost everything I can think of. <laughs> Ooh, can you explain for people who haven't tried it before how tagarashi tastes and and its texture? Yeah, I mean, I feel like it kind of tingles your tongue. It's like spicy, <laughs>、uh, but it also is salty, and then it has that umami, and it's just—it's very unique, and it just、um, a little bit goes a long way. So during that kind of marathon of holidays and the weeks between, you know, leading up to New Year's, do you have any special traditions for New Year's Eve? Well, I always like to make sure that I have, you know, the traditional black eyed peas and collard greens set up for myself to eat on New Year's Day,、um, and love the bubbles on New Year's Eve. Usually, a toast of some sort. Sometimes I'll take that time to treat myself to some caviar and make some blinis,、um, <laughs> cornmeal blinis, of course.、Uh, oh, of course, one of <laughs> my recipes.、Um, Or or hoe cakes, which are kind of similar but don't have the yeast in them,、um, but they both work really well. Just you know, I just always like to start 
New Year's with like a positive thought. I'm just always hopeful that, okay, let's just see what the New Year is going to bring. I don't know why it's, it, you know, it's just a calendar day. I mean, you could pick, you know, people celebrate uh, a New Year, different religions and beliefs throughout the year, but that day uh, still has meaning for me as uh, January 1st. Um, it's a moment to really just <laughs> kind of cook a little bit differently, but also think a little bit differently about what we have to do, right? Suddenly yeah. our, our our slates open up. We can say, okay, I don't have to do any more over-the-top entertaining. I can kind of ease into it a little bit more. Exactly. Um, <laughs> and what you might do in the new year, you know, and thinking about, ah, quiet January. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Hoping, fingers Hoping, crossed, yeah. quiet January. Yeah. Uh, so can you tell me a little bit about the cornmeal blinis that you were making. Did you develop that recipe yourself? Do you have your own specific take that you love to do? I did develop a cornmeal blini recipe um, at one point because I think you probably know I studied Russian language and literature and um, blinis being uh, one of their signature dishes, um, I just thought like it'd be great to reinterpret it and kind of make it soulful. I've also done some sweet potato blinis um, and Ooh. both are delicious and kind of add a new dimension to uh, the experience of having creme fraiche and caviar or sour cream with the caviar. And it's like all these different textures. Um, uh, you know, basically it's like flour, eggs, um, some kind of leavening, uh, baking powder if you're not using yeast. And, um, they're just delicious. They're like mini pancakes, basically. <laughs> okay. So, Tanya, you've mentioned this in passing, but I have to go back to it. Can you tell me more about these hoe cakes and the recipe that you developed for them? Sure. You know, Hoe cakes are traditionally like a side dish, southern side dish. But I had this idea because I'm inspired by, you know, studying Russian and having had blinis with uh, creme fraiche and caviar to make a mini hoe cake to treat it like a blini, but to put creme fraiche and caviar on the hoe cake. And it's a little bit richer. It has, uh, you know, medium ground cornmeal, buttermilk. Um, it's just delicious. Oh, oh, great. <laughs> Do you have any advice for what types of caviar to buy or when you choose to splurge on a really great caviar or when you just say, we're, we're just counting it as a win that we're getting some type of caviar <laughs> into the equation? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, there's some great um, California caviar produced right now. Um, Passmore is one of my favorites, P-A-S-S-E-M-O-R-E. -S -S -E -E. I also just ate at, I actually did a caviar tasting at Birch and <laughs> Rye, uh, a beautiful restaurant in San Francisco, and they produced their own caviar from California, and it was absolutely delicious. So there's a lot of good Ooh. choices out there. And then usually, you know, there's retail fishmongers that carry it, and um, you can go the full range. You don't have to spend a ton of money. And also, you know, trout roe or salmon roe can substitute. Absolutely. And, you know, if you're feeling super adventurous, you can even branch out into the vegan stuff, right? There are Absolutely. some alternatives there that are really exciting, full mm -hmm. of flavor, full of salt and brine. Um, so lots and lots of fun all around. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, Sonia, thank you so much for joining me. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Happy holidays and Happy New Year. Happy holidays and Happy New Year to you as well, Jesse. Tanya Holland is the author of California Soul, Recipes from a Culinary Journey West. You can find her recipe for hoe cakes at theonerecipe.org. Okay, so I want to go back to that caviar conversation for just a minute. I mean, 
Let's be real. Not everyone is up for a splurge. There are some alternatives for caviar that are a reasonable price. Instead of buying a traditional fish egg caviar, which can get really expensive, why don't you try taking a look at some seaweed caviars? They're kind of amazing, and because they're made of seaweed, they still capture that luscious, intoxicating salt and brine we all look for from caviar. But without the price tag. There are two brands that we tried and like. First, Caviart. Like caviar, with a T. And second, Paramount Caviar. Both are easy to find online and much less of a financial burden in what can easily become a really expensive season. Here at The One Recipe, we love cooking and sharing recipes. And we want everyone to be able to have a seat at the table. I'm not sure if you feel the same way, but oftentimes around the holidays, it's so easy for me to feel what I call the picture pressure. You know, that little nagging voice in your ear that says you should be cooking more or styling your table like that person on Instagram or fluffing up your home like the cover of your favorite magazine. And while I love a little bit of ambition, sometimes that little voice crosses the line and can drag me down into a big black hole. So that's why I want you to meet Bettina Makalintal. She's a senior writer at Eater and a colleague of mine. And I love Bettina's approach to cooking, hosting, and her interpretation of all the internet madness on Instagram and TikTok. She's a chief ambassador for chilling out, navigating a family gathering, and just enjoying the moment. Bettina, thank you so much for coming in and happy holidays. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Happy holidays. So I have so many questions just because this kind of feels like our big time of the year, both with being in food media, but also having like communities that are so food focused. It almost feels like uh, the holidays are kind of like our Super Bowl. Totally. I feel like it's like a ton of things, but I'm also excited for it, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What are some of the like hallmark staples of your holidays? Okay, so for the holidays, my family's big thing, like we celebrate Christmas, and our big thing is doing sort of like a Christmas Noche Buena celebration. You know, former Spanish colonies like celebrate Christmas this way. And so for us, it's like the really big celebration is like Christmas Eve. And so traditionally, we'll always go to church. We'll do sort of our little like meal spread. My mom always wants to have like some ham and then we'll have cheese, which like in the Philippines, we use this like red cheese. It's like wrapped in red wax and it's called queso de bola. Um, mm. And I did a deep dive on this when I was working at Vice a couple years ago. And so basically it's like Dutch Edom cheese somehow became like the Christmas cheese in the Philippines. And so we always try to get that if we can get our hands on it. And it's always sort of like more chill. Then we do like our bigger meal on Christmas Day because then we have a little more time. We like don't have to go to church or anything like yeah. that, you know. You're rested. You, yeah, exactly. You were able to like Yeah, like we can just spend the bit. day cooking. Yes. What are some of the rituals that you have with your family that are either tied to food or just hallmarks of the holidays? Yeah, totally. So, I mean, I think, like, the ritual, like, is sort of the argument every every year over, like, when we should open presents. Yeah. Um, which, like, even though I'm, like, 30 every year, it's still, like, should we do them at midnight or should we wait <laughs> until the morning? So, I would say that's, like, a ritual. And then, like, without fail, every time I'm visiting my family, like, we have to make lumpia because it's just sort of, like, the ritual and it's sort of, like, the one food that we're always making together, which is, like, the Filipino egg roll, basically. It feels so communal to me, like the act of making it, but also it doesn't make sense to make lumpia if you're just going to make a few. Like you kind yeah. of have to make a ton. Um, so, I, yeah, very much associate that with just like celebration, family and like being home. 
So can you explain the process? Is the entire family involved? Are only certain people allowed in the kitchen at the time? Or do other people just get yeeted out and just be like, go run any other errand anywhere else? Yeah, definitely. So for a long time, it would be like my mom and I would do it. But my sibling has sort of very much come into the fold as well. And so it's usually the three of us making it. So basically, Lumpia has like a wrapper, right? And Mm -hmm. the wrappers that we buy come in these stacks that are very stuck together. And so my job growing up would always be to pull the wrappers apart because they're very fragile and they're like you have to thaw them correctly or else they like tear and break and so i would just be tasked with like peeling them apart i'm really good at it not going to downplay my skills at lumpia rolling you better show Um, off a little bit but so then i would always be the person peeling and my mom would like fill and fry them um but then as we've gotten older like you know my mom lets me fill them and sometimes i fry them now so i think now we sort of and like my sibling is really good at rolling them oh, always like amazing. pristine perfect lumpia um so yeah we're always sort of interchanging the tasks now Oh, that's so, so nice. But yeah, it's definitely like a group effort. It's also just such a high stakes situation. Like I feel like people kind of downplay it when it's like, oh no, if this rips and then you rip five wrappers in a row. Yeah, because you can totally mess up the ratio of like wrapper to filling. Oh, yeah. But also if you don't do it right and you like tear them and it doesn't look torn, but you did it wrong, you notice it when you're frying the lumpia because then it starts to like explode at that (laughs) part and you're like, oh no, I should have thrown that one out, you know? everyone kind of just like slowly looks over to you and you're just like, ooh, peel the wrappers. A thing I've learned though is that now the same brand that we buy the lumpia from now sells like individually wrapped so you don't have to peel them. They're like, they're separated by like parchment or something. Um, and I saw them in my mom's fridge when I was home last Christmas. And I sort of, I took it a little personally. I was Honestly. like, wow, my job has been taken from me. <laughs> I am I am now familiarly unemployed. Yeah, exactly. I don't know how to feel about this. <laughs> I like, <laughs> like, innovation is good in most ways, but not that way, maybe. Yeah, 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 exactly. So one of the things that I've also loved about just being able to get a sneak peek into your life through your Instagram is just how many events you're able to kind of curate both with your friends, but also your family. Are you planning on doing or attending any potlucks this year? Yeah, I definitely would like to. I think that, you know, I think I definitely want to host more. I think that's one of my, like, um, one of my, like, New Year's resolutions every year is to finally be the year that I become, like, the host. So, yes, definitely planning on hosting some potlucks. So what what does hosting look like for you, especially around the holidays? Yeah, I mean, I think that when I'm going to friends' places, it's just, like, making sure I'm bringing something that is, like, a dish that I think really speaks to, like, how I like to cook and eat so that we can sort of all enjoy it together, you know? Yeah. I think I'm a person who is always also very, like, high-strung, right? And I'm scared that things aren't going to be perfect and stuff. And actually, like, it doesn't – that's actually not true. And, like, nobody cares if my plates don't match, right? Like, Absolutely. um, Like, no one cares if – you don't have confetti cannons for the Olympia. Yeah, like, so I'm, like, trying to be more chill. I think the thing that has also just been really fun is, like, doing potlucks around themes because then it feels like everyone's doing, like, this group project, right? Oh, yeah. And, like, sometimes you don't even really know what other people are bringing, but then at the end of the day, you're like, oh, yeah, we all had these ideas that coalesced into this thing that makes sense together, and it's, like, yeah. we're, like, this little community united around our, like, dumplings or whatever. <laughs> yes. So what are some of your favorite tips or tricks that you've seen other people and other hosts do that really made an impact on either the dinner or the potluck or whatever kind of festivity? Yeah, I think that one thing I've like learned for myself, just not try to do every single thing. 
Um, you know, like, for example, dessert is just like candy or fruit or something that's like packaged or prepared so that you don't have to like expend that sort of like mental load to like all parts of it. And I feel like I think it's easy to forget this part, this like point, but like not everything has to go on Instagram. Yep. Like you can Instagram the like thing that looks ugly, but also you don't have to Instagram. You can just eat it. <laughs> right. It's like it's really OK. <laughs> Well, thank you, Bettina, so much for coming on. Happy holidays. I can't wait to see what you make. Thank you so much. Hope you have a good holiday, and I hope it's full of good food. Thank you. Bettina Makalental is a senior reporter for Eater, a food and culture writer at large, and a painfully humble host. You can get her lumpia recipe at theonerecipe.org. And that's the show. We hope you've enjoyed this holiday episode of The One Recipe. I'm so ready to dig into the holidays. The Sparks family is trying something new this year, a little dessert playoff that would give even the Olympics a run for its money. So I'll report back. And even if things get very competitive, which I'm sure they will, we'll just still be glad to be together. I hope you're able to find that balance too. Celebrate the people you love and let them celebrate you too. Happy holidays, everyone. Go make some magic. I'm Jesse Sparks, and this is the One Recipe Holiday Special from APM. This holiday special was made for you by producer Erica Romero, associate producer Ren Farrell, technical director Josh Savajo, with assistance from Alex Simpson, and thanks to Ray Shillins at Radio Lounge in Houston. Digital producer was James Napoli. Sally Switch is our managing producer. 